the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. From the epistle, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The epistle is the opening section of Philippians. And Philippians was written by St. Paul as a sort of thank you letter. The Philippians generously supported St. Paul's ministry. Philippians 4, 15 to 18 says, in the beginning of the gospel, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Philippians was prompted by a gift that they had recently sent to St. Paul. Thus, when he thanked God for their fellowship in the gospel and declares that they are partakers with me of grace, he means that their financial support connected them to his ministry in a unique way. The language St. Paul uses to express his gratitude distinguishes giving in the kingdom of God from ordinary forms of human giving. St. Paul never says in so many words, thank you for the gift. Rather, he thanks God for the Philippians' participation in the work of the gospel. And he gives thanks for the blessings that will accrue to the Philippians as a result of their generosity. As Philippians 4.17 says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. In ordinary human giving, we view ourselves as having certain resources that we own. When we give to others, we have less and someone else has more. And the organization or person to whom we've given is now in our debt. And they'll respond with a thank you note and they may put our name on the wall or a plaque or on the list of honored people. Giving for the kingdom is different for St. Paul. For St. Paul, coming to Christ means that our lives and all that we have come into the kingdom of God. Every gift we give, whether it be money or time or labor, is our response to God's gift to us of life in Christ. It has an eternal dimension to it. Giving in Christ rises above the zero-sum game of the world and participates in the economy of God where giving accrues benefit both to the recipient and to the giver. This is the paradox paradoxical logic of sacrifice. <clears throat> Christ gave his whole life for us, the ultimate sacrifice of history. The result of his giving of self is that he is king of kings and lord of lords, and we are with him in the kingdom. Everyone, including Christ himself, benefited from his sacrificial gift. <clears throat> we we participate in this same economy of sacrifice in Christ. 
as Jesus said in Matthew 19.29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sister or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. <clears throat> Living in the economy of the kingdom saves us from the zero-sum economy of the world and from the devil's math. In Genesis 3, the serpent said, essentially, God told you not to eat this fruit because he does not want you to have good things. So if you want to have good things, you have to grab them for yourself, and then you need to hold on to them very tightly to make sure no one takes them from you. This was and is a lie. God said not to eat the fruit. God said to sacrifice fulfillment of desire in that moment because he wanted to give them a greater blessing. We are called to sacrifice and give because we must have faith in order to receive the greater gifts that God wants to give us. The willingness to say no to that which is not of God and the willingness to dedicate all we have to God when there is no immediate visible benefit is the sign of faith. Thus Jesus corrects the devil's math when he says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. St. Paul's thanksgiving for the Philippians' gift, then, is his gratitude that the Philippians are abounding in the fruits of righteousness. This is a sign of the genuineness of their faith and a sign that they will continue to receive God's blessing as a church. All will benefit from the gift, as St. Paul writes in Philippians 4.18. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The same logic applies to the economy of forgiveness described in the gospel. The unforgiving servant had received forgiveness of a very large debt, which represents all that God has forgiven us and will forgive us over a lifetime. But he refused to respond to the generous gift by giving. Thus, he was thrust back into the economy of the world where every sin is highlighted and punished. His master was angry and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all the debt. Had the servant been generous, had he given as he had received, both he and the person he forgave would have benefited. But holding on to his grudges and rights, he lost all that he had been given. If the Philippians had refused to be generous with St. Paul, through whom they had received the gospel, they would have removed themselves from the economy of the kingdom and would have begun to suffer loss. 
This is why St. Paul is grateful, not just for the gift, but also for what the gift means for the Philippians. Our willingness to forgive as we have been forgiven is a sign that we have taken to heart the magnitude of God's gift to us. And it keeps our lives within the economy of God's gratitude and generosity. But if we refuse to give, we fall back into the economy of the world where we are stuck with our own guilt and remain bitter at other people. Thus the gospel ends with a warning. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from your heart does not forgive his brother's trespasses. This reminds us that a rightly ordered life begins with the experience of God's gift to us of life and forgiveness in Christ, but also that a rightly ordered life continues with the practice of sharing with others all the gifts that we have been given. We can only possess the generous gifts of God through our own practice of generosity. This is the lesson of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. The servants who had been given five and ten talents traded with them. That is, they were generous with them. They let them go. They gave them away. They were rewarded when the master returned with joy in the kingdom and expanded responsibility. But the servant who buried his talent had that talent taken away and he himself was removed from the kingdom. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me because we are a forgetful people. Remembrance in this liturgical context means more than just thinking about Jesus again. Remembrance means to experience again all that Jesus has done for us. We come to the altar every week to confess that our thoughts, words, and actions have fallen short of perfect love for God and perfect love for neighbor. And every week Jesus is still present here to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Today's lessons remind us that this is the beginning of life in Christ. We are sent back into the world to share the gifts we have been given, to do the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in, to be filled with the fruits of righteousness by which we both bless others and also continue to receive blessings from God. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.